We're combining all the best old school wisdom with all the top new school methods to bring you the optimal way to coach and play the great game of baseball. This is the 80-20 Baseball Masterclass with Coach Bo. Welcome coaches, players, parents. Welcome to the 8020 Baseball Masterclass. I'm fired up. We got a packed show today. Very useful information that you can take out and be a better coach, a better player out on the baseball field. I'll tell you one thing I was thinking the other day, walking out to the field, when I got to a point in my coaching career, it was after about 10 years, which was followed by seven years of high-level college and professional baseball, followed by four years of playing high school baseball for a very well-known program program at Esperanza High School, and that was preceded by seven or eight years of youth baseball. I didn't until almost the age of 34, 35, walk out on the field with this true sense of confidence. And that is so valuable when you walk out there as a coach, confident, not arrogant, but confident, not with all the answers, but with clarity as to what's what works, what you need to do, and what are the main priorities. Feeling came to me and it was like, wow, this is the feeling that I want all coaches to have, that sense of confidence when you walk out there on the field that you're ready, you have a plan, you have a crystal clear plan, you know what the big needle movers are, and also with different modalities to coach. So you can fit it depending on, it's not a one size fits all for everything, but you have different approaches that can fit with different players and in different situations. So having that confidence, I was thinking that that's really a major, major benefit you're going to get from listening to this show. And that's what I want to give all of you, especially the coaches, which is most of you listening, when you can walk out there on the field with confidence, with a crystal clear plan of the main objectives, not knowing how to coach all 50 things that you might need to cover over the course of the years with a player or teams or through the four years of high school or four years of college, but with those main things that are going to move the needle 90% of the way, a crystal clear plan, how to handle things that don't always go right, maybe player interactions, the team culture, the drills. When you walk out there with that crystal clear plan, it is exponentially grows your capability as a coach and your impact on your players, your impact on each of your players, positive impacts that go way past the game of baseball and also on the scoreboard, that big impact that you can have on the scoreboard and more importantly on your players as people, those two combined, you can have that massive impact grow exponentially by having a crystal clear plan and then the confidence. So it goes together. The planning gives you confidence. Going out there with the confidence allows you not to fall into a lot of those dark places that coaches go to, those places that we want to avoid. We're yelling and screaming and pulling our hair out, or maybe we're dissing players or we're saying something that we shouldn't to players or we're overreacting to things. Or, you know, we have the kind of the, the fog of the game, kind of that they say like fog of war. Well, like in baseball, you get a little foggy during the game because you're not in a good place. You're not in a crystal clear, confident place. Avoiding those places, avoiding being a bad coach starts with having a crystal clear plan that has been proven to work and then having that confidence from that to go out there and be awesome. So in this week's episode, we are going to discuss what we can learn from Joey Votto's record home run streak that he's been on over the last week. We're going to discuss how coaches can coach players to work through the yips. Don't worry if you're not sure what the yips are. We will break that down quickly. I'm not going to get into a deep dive on the yips, but I'm going to give you a couple pointers to help work with those players that have the yips. And the yips 
dips fall on on a spectrum. This is something that doesn't get discussed a lot in the baseball community. It's like either those few players that will come across the yips, and we'll discuss again what that is in a minute. They fall on a spectrum. It could be very paralyzing, or it could be mildly paralyzing, or just intermittent yips. And we'll talk about that and how to approach it, no matter where they fall on the spectrum. Because at the end of the day, you're going to treat it the same. It's just a matter of how much it's really going to impact their game. And the third thing we're going to talk about in today's podcast, summer training plan item number three, ground balls. So we're going to discuss summer training plan item number three out of four this week, ground balls. I got tips for that real quick. Thank you. All of you that are supporting the podcast, just that little bit helps pay for all the overhead. My editor, Sam, does a fantastic job. The website, thank you so much for supporting the podcast. And you know, you're going to get a fresh episode from me and 8020 Baseball each Tuesday coming to you on whatever podcast platform you use. You can also find it on the website, 8020baseball.com. Thank you all of those that are supporting. It's easy to do. It's really quick. You just click the link in your show summary right there on your podcast app. You just click the link. Shouldn't take more than a couple minutes and you can support the podcast. So if you've been getting stuff out of this, it would be awesome if you could help support the podcast. Even a little bit goes a long ways to keep this rolling along. Now, just before we get into episode 89 here, quick review of 88. We discussed in 88, if you haven't listened to episode 88, go back right now. We talked about the number one thing that first baseman can do to save runs, along with a simple and very effective drill to help work on that skill. Summer hitting plan was the other thing we talked about. So the summer hitting plan, go back, listen to episode 88. We talked about getting our first baseman better. I believe first baseman and playing the the defensive position at first base is the most undervalued position in the entire baseball community, the stigma of just stick a guy there with a bad arm or somebody who's slow or big, stick them at first base. Hey, maybe they do have a bad arm. Maybe they are slow, but they better have range around the bag. They better be able to move around the bag. And that's one thing that Pujols has been doing pretty well these days. Albert is slower than dirt. He's the slowest guy in the major leagues. In fact, I saw Albert Pujols recently run to first base and he was slower than Jake Taylor. He was slower than the famous catcher for the Cleveland Indians in the movie Major League, Jake Taylor. He was slower than Jake Taylor running down the line. And Jake Taylor was in slow motion at the very final play of that game in the original Major League, not the sequels that were terrible, but the original Major League, one of my favorite movies of all time. Watch Jake Taylor running down the line. The videographer, the director has it in slow motion. And Albert Pulse is actually slower than Jake Taylor with his bad knees and everything. And I haven't seen Albert's arm as of recent, but I do know one thing around the bag. He's very good with his range. So you could stick a guy there that's not the best athlete. You could put somebody there without an arm that's stellar, but you need to put somebody there that can move around the bag left, right, scoop, and up. They need to be able to go all the way around. Now, it's not a full 360 circle. Of course, they can't go beyond the dirt. So it's really a 180 circle. They're really trying to get 180 degrees and cover the heck out of that. Up, left, right, out, down, scoop. That's the way first basemen save more runs than any other position outside of catching and pitching when it comes to defense. Now, I don't consider a pitcher a defensive position. Actually, I consider it an offensive position because they have the ball in their hand to start the play. Catching is definitely your number one most important defensive position. And I believe this second most, it's not shortstop in my opinion. I believe that first baseman that can give a massive rant, especially for youth baseball and high school baseball and even college baseball. I mean, pro guys are still throwing the ball around, you know, around the back. They're not throwing it right to the chest every time. These first basemen are having 
having to make good plays, but definitely in youth baseball and high school baseball, you need a first baseman that can save bad throws throughout the game, that can save two or three or four bad throws throughout the game. And that in youth baseball might be five throws that the other team's first baseman isn't getting to, but your first baseman is getting to, even though they may be the same size and everything else is kind of the same, but they know how to work the bag. They can use both feet. They can go left. They can go right. They can go up when they need to. They know when to stretch and when not to stretch out towards the thrower. They know that key concept, stretch to the throw, not to the thrower. Stretch to the throw, not to the thrower. Not to the shortstop, not to the third baseman, not to the second baseman. Maybe the right fielder is coming and getting that rare play from right field that throws the first base, but first baseman should not be stretching to the thrower. They should be stretching to the throw because the throw isn't always going to be in line straight from the thrower. It could veer left, right, up. It could sink last minute. It could be a changeup. It could be a cutter. It could tail like a two-seam fastball. It can do a whole lot of stuff, especially those longer throws from shortstop and third base. And we also discussed one of the biggest issues at first base is stretching too early. So not necessarily just a direction, but stretching too early. If you stretch early, it really limits you because now first baseman's in that kind of lunge-like position. And that's a bad position to be in, in terms of mobility and strength. And it just is not a good spot to be stuck in unless the ball is coming right towards the glove. And we also talked in 88 about the summer hitting plan. All right, here we go. Episode 89, Joey Votto. Last seven games. I'm recording this on Saturday morning. So the Saturday, three days ago. And Joey Votto, last seven games, 26 at-bats, nine home runs, 10 hits. 10 hits, nine home runs. So nine of his last 26 at-bats. That's over a third of his at-bats from this past week. 26 total, nine home runs, and six walks. So plate appearances, and they don't have the hit by pitch, but let's just say plate appearances, 26 at-bats plus the six walks. That's 32 plate appearances. And he's hit nine home runs and had six walks. Essentially 15 awesome at-bats in 32. So half the time he's going up there, he's hitting a home run or he's walking. And over his last 30 games, he has 13 home runs. He's batting 333. I'm not a batting average guy, but it's something that everybody can understand a little bit. And speaking of batting average, again, I'm, I've got, I go back, if you've listened to this, you know why batting average is massive flaws and it has massive, huge flaws and why really, I mean, no baseball person, especially like somebody who's actually evaluating players, these guys doing these trade deadline deals, general managers, college coach, you know, if you're really identifying and, and trying to assess accurately the production of a, of a hitter, you're not using batting average because there's massive flaws. The big one is the walk. And the other big one is every hit is equal value. And it's like, how can a double be the same value as a single? A double gets you to second base, right? You have a much higher chance of scoring from second base and moving up 90 feet adds value to your your run production potential. Hitting a home run is a heck of a lot better than hitting a single. And speaking of which, Votto is now, and he's on record, unless he was being facetious. I read it in an article, so I didn't actually hear the tone of his voice when he said it. But Joey Votto is saying that he's trying to hit home runs now. And he has nine in the last seven games, nine home runs in the last seven games. I think he only hit like 15 home runs in the entire 2019 season. So we're going back, you know, last year, obviously was a shorter year, 2020. So back to the last full season, 2019, he had 15 home runs and now he has nine. In fact, he has 13 home runs in his last 30 games. Joey Votto is out saying, I'm swinging for home runs. Now he's not Willie Mays hazing it. I'm gonna go back to major league, right? He's not Willie Mays. Hey, He's popping it up into the batting cage net. He's not hitting it straight up, but he's trying to drive the ball. He's trying to hit hard line drives. And even came out just yesterday. I read an article that said he's trying to get underneath the ball a little bit, trying to create a little more backspin. He's had, he said a lot of his issues were too much topspin, hitting the ball on, you know, ground balls or hitting the top of the 
ball and the ball that wouldn't carry it would it would be a hard hit fly ball that would line drive but it wouldn't carry over the outfielder's head and it wouldn't get to the wall it wouldn't go over the wall and he was also hitting ground balls that were getting gobbled up especially with the shift and so when i heard his streak i said oh i, I read this something this article that said he was now trying to hit home runs and i'm like oh well okay i gotta go check out okay so i heard he had hit like at the time like home runs in six straight games i'm like i gotta go check his his on base percentage i gotta go check his strikeout totals his walk totals i gotta go see what his batting average is i'm thinking these have all got to be left he's swinging for the fence and he's actually hitting home runs but he's swinging to hit home runs i thought wow he's got to everything's got to be suffering he's just he's got to be striking out more and he's got to have a very low batting average and then i went to look at his stats and i'm looking at his splits right now his last seven game last 15 game and last 30 game splits and it couldn't be further from the truth in fact he's almost hitting 400 in the last week and he's hit nine home runs of course you're like well his batting average is high my point is if you're trying to hit home runs it's not that he is but it's that he said he's trying to hit home runs when players are trying to hit home runs we've almost all been conditioned in the baseball community to think if somebody is actually trying to hit home runs that they're going to fall flat on their face their batting average is going to be very low their strikeout total is going to be very high they're not going to be getting on base very much he's on base percentage is almost 500 in the last seven games in fact over the last 15 games it's 471 and 438 over the last 30 games those are incredibly high numbers those are incredibly high numbers and his batting average over the last seven games is 385 like i said in the last 30 games is 333 his strikeout total is not that high in fact he has eight strikeouts and six walks in the last seven games so yeah he's got a strikeout pretty much every game but he's also got a walk every game and a home run and a half every or a home run and a quarter every game i'll tell you what if you can go out there and hit a home run and a quarter a home run a game and a walk a game and that's it and you strike out the other two at bats or three at bats you're going to be making so much money you will literally be the highest paid baseball player in the world well for professional baseball but every youth baseball like this podcast is very much designed for we can learn from this so here's what i want to share with you here's my take on this for youth coaches joey Votto is saying i am trying to hit home runs now he's obviously not trying to hit these 40 degree launch angle type pits he's trying to drive the ball the optimal launch angle has been defined it it has quantitatively been defined as the there's an optimal launch angle it's right around like 23 or 24 degrees something right in there the exact number is not that important but it's right in that 20 20 you know degree 25 degree range where that's the optimal well the ball has to be hit driven driven remember we talk about less than two strikes the ball you should be swinging full speed speaking of full speed swings cody bellinger is swinging like with his entire body and if you watch cody bellinger and you can just easily pull up highlights or dodger highlights you'll see cody bellinger he's about to find the bench he's about to get on the bench he might get demoted to triple a i don't even know if they can do that but he is doing so terrible this year and he's only two years removed from being the mvp of the entire league but you know what he's doing right now two things he's swinging so hard with his full body he's just it's like this tense massively tense like crazy i mean i know you can't swing 110 but he literally is swinging at like 110 and he needs to dial down and be a little shorter he's got this massively long bat path he's not quick to the ball like justin turner or these anthony rendon a lot of i mean all these hitters now are, are getting a little quicker to the ball and so bellinger he's gone the other way with this he's swinging for the fences but he's overly swinging for the fences and also with two strikes he hasn't made that adjustment with two strikes he has no two strike adjustment where Votto has continued to utilize that quality approach that he's always had he's always had one of the best approaches at the plate when i say approach when i say hitting plan i'm talking about pitch selection he's always had some of the best pitch selection now he's just trying to hit the ball a little bit more in the air while continuing 
continuing. This is Joey Votto again, while continuing to swing with some power, especially less than two strikes. So with less than two strikes, why not teach our hitters, our youth hitters to drive the ball off the fence with less than two strikes? That's where we're trying to hit the ball. We're not trying to hit the ball hard to the shortstop. We're trying to drive the ball off the outfield wall. They should be trying to pepper the ball off the outfield wall. Now, the angle and where the ball lands, if it lands on the right field line, the left field line, right center, left center, dead center, that will be dictated by the pitch location and the timing of the swing, okay? But the angle in which the, what you call launch angle, which is a huge term now, launch angle, you're trying to drive the ball. Now, here's a drill that you can do, and this was years ago. I was out watching a youth practice, and these coaches had an end of practice hitting drill where they had their hitters. The goal was to collect points, and the hitters each got a point when they could drive the ball out of the infield, so they would get a point anytime they could drive the ball out of the field. Now, the caveat was there was a minus two points if they hit a pop-up to the infield. So if they hit a pop-up that landed on the infield dirt, now this field didn't have, this field was all dirt infield. The entire thing was dirt. And so if the hitter hit a ball in the air, that was a pop-up and it landed on the dirt, that was minus two. There was no penalty for like a fly ball, but they would get one point for driving the ball, even a fly ball out of the infield. And they would get minus two points for a pop-up to the infield. So there was that trade-off. You didn't want them to hit, you didn't want them Willie Mays hazing it straight up and hitting pop-ups. Of course not. That's not where you want to be. But I thought that drill was very interesting and I definitely agreed with it in terms of it teaches the players, the hitters to drive through and hit the ball with a little more distance, a little more distance. They're getting, they're hitting the lower half of the ball, the, the bottom half of the baseball, and they're really trying to drive it. There's other reasons to hit the ball into the outfield. One, if you hit it over the fence, it's a home run. But more importantly is that's going to happen, except for in Joey Votto's case. Joey Votto right now is hitting home runs. He's he's not hitting singles and he's not necessarily hitting a whole bunch of balls to the outfield that aren't going over the fence. But by hitting line drives to the outfield, hitting balls with some launch angle to the outfield, with some power, some you know, with a good swing, with, with really driving those pitches, there are three outfielders and there are four infielders plus the catcher. So you have, and the pitcher. So you have six fielders in the infield, six fielders that cover the infield territory. And you have three fielders outside of some of those rare like move I know the slow pitch softball, they have four outfielders sometimes. And I know some teams are now messing around with putting four outfielders out in the outfield, especially like the major league teams. I've seen some of them do this, but typically it's almost always three outfielders to cover the entire outfield, minus the distance that those good shortstops and third basemen, second basemen and first basemen can get to behind them. But overall, that's not a massive distance that they're getting to consistently. And that's usually only on pop-ups, not like line drives and things like that. But the outfield is a much bigger area square foot footage wise than the, if you were buying real estate and somebody, and you wanted square footage, you wanted, you know, you were trying to look for the better deal. You'd buy the outfield. If the infield and the outfield were being sold for the same price. All right. Say if it was two and a quarter for a square foot, you would buy, and it was the same price for infield and outfield land. You would buy outfield because it's bigger. It's more land. And now you only have three defenders aside from those infielders popping out to get some, you have three fielders covering the outfield. So that right there, just math wise is good. It's kind of like why the option has been successful over the years with football. The option, most options from what I understand, and I coached football for four years and played football up through high school and I coached it after. And well, one of the coaches that I worked with, we, we ran the option. It was an option team kind of idea. And the quarterback would get up to the line of scrimmage and just look at the defense and count the defense and say, okay, are they loaded right or loaded left? In essence, there's 11 players. So do they have six on the, or seven on the right side of the ball or six or seven on the left side? Now they have an even formation on offense. All right. So they'd line up with an even formation, a symmetrical 
formation and they would just look at the defense and they would just run the play to the side where there were fewer defenders. And in baseball, when we hit the ball, we want to hit it to where there's fewer defenders covering the land, covering that grass, covering the dirt. Trying to hit the ball hard, trying to drive the ball is not going to cause a lot of problems for hitters. I think driving the ball and you go, well, that's Joey Votto. He's awesome. He's amazing. He's a major league player. I think youth players can absolutely try to drive the ball for the wall and try to drive the ball over the wall. But what they want to avoid is pop-ups. And the biggest problem with all of hitters, and I've said this a thousand times and I'll say it a thousand more because it is that important, is the pitch selection, the hitting approach, the hitting plan. The pitch selection is going to make or break the at-bat far more than if a hitter swings for the fence or doesn't swing for the fence or looks to drive ground balls or fly balls. All right. No hitter obviously is going up there and trying to hit pop-ups. First off, that's hard to do for a hitter swing. It's hard to hit pop-ups like on purpose. It happens, of course, it happens often, but it's really hard to swing upwards. You have to put some thought into that. So hitters just looking to drive the ball with a slight upward bat path. As long as they swing at the right pitches, then they're going to be just fine, I think. I think this is the way to go. I think you teach them to drive the ball to the fence every single time on pitches that are in their hitting zone with less than two strikes. And then with two strikes, this plan changes a little bit because you're protecting the plate. You're protecting the strike zone. You have to fight pitches off that you probably wouldn't even want to swing at with less than two strikes. Of course, this is going to happen with two strikes because you have to protect the strike zone. Hitters have to protect the strike zone with two strikes, but with less than two strikes, they can really look to drive. So with two strikes, it's going to be a little harder to have that path where you want it, right? Because now you're swinging at pitches that are going to be low. It's Although I see, pit, I see hitters these days hitting the pitches at the knees and really working through it. Look at golfers. They put a ball on a tee or they hit it off the grass and they have good launch angles. They have some really good launch angles. Some of those are launch angles that the golfers hit these balls at are higher launch angles and you would want a baseball player to hit it at. That's going to be effective over time and not turn into fly balls and pop-ups. So golfers are hitting a much lower. Now you could say, I know their clubs are angled. I get it. But the bat and the ball around it, it can, you can get launch angle without having to really get a high pitch or a pitch that's belt high or something like that. So you can still generate some, some of the nicest home runs are on those pitches right at the knees that the hitters are swinging through. It's a nice natural swing. It looks a little more golfish, but nonetheless, I think this idea of don't swing, you don't swing for the fence, you know, swing for the fence, you're going to strike out a bunch. You're going to, you know what creates strikeouts? Bad pitch selection, not necessarily swinging to hit home runs. Again, home runs are not pop-ups. To hit a home run, you got to hit the ball hard and you got to hit it at an angle that's not a pop-up. It has to be at an angle that generates some distance, not necessarily elevation or altitude. So pitch selection is much more important than telling a hitter, don't swing for the fence. Or if you swing for the, if you're trying to hit home runs, you're not going to hit home runs. I don't agree with that. What I think happens is hitters have bad pitch selection and that gets them out way more often. And then you have the Willie Mays Hayes, the extremes. Of course, you want to avoid that. All right, the yips. I'm going to hit this really quick. The yips is something that happens a lot with pitchers and it comes from, and I, and I was reading, it comes from a mental block or overthinking as a mental block. is It's more a negative, non-productive thinking, negative result type of thinking, thinking in a poor way or overthinking, just flat out overthinking. You know, anxiety can be broken down into just a definition of anxiety. Now, how to solve it is a whole nother ballgame, but anxiety can be defined in two words, excessive thinking, excessive thinking. Now, 
solving anxiety or reducing it, that's a whole nother ball game. And that takes a ton of work and a ton of time. And I was reading this article in Baseball America, and it was talking about, or it was about Luke Haggerty, who was a first round draft pick. I think he was a supplemental first round draft pick by the Chicago Cubs, Luke Haggerty, Chicago Cubs, 2002 draft. It says one day he was on the verge of a big league job preparing to throw batting practice for some Marlins starting outfielders. And that's when the wheels came off. He said, quote, for some reason. Now, this is an article by Kyle Banduho. Banduho. Maybe I'm saying that wrong. Kyle Banduho. And this is Baseball America titled The Phenom to the Farm. From Phenom to the Farm, going out on top. And it's a story of his struggles. And then he came back and almost made it back to high level of baseball success. As he got older, he tried to have a comeback. But anyways, he said, quote, for some reason, this one thought, hey, I hope you don't hurt anybody. It was just something I said to myself and everything spiraled from there, Haggerty said. It felt like the fuse went off, like somebody just turned a switch off. And that's how I thought. So he had one thought come to his mind. I, he didn't want to, he was a pitcher. I'm guessing he didn't want to hit a batter. He was pitching to some Marlins starting outfielders. And he said, I, I don't want to hit these guys. I don't want to hurt one of the starters. I'm trying to make the team. I'm trying to move up in this organization. I definitely don't want to hit. This happened to me one time. It was in spring training and one of the old coaches, he was an ex-major league player, old coach. He got in the batter's box and we were doing a drill and we were pitching. We were throwing the ball to the plate and then we were running some bunt defense stuff. And he gets in the batter's box and he crowds the plate for some reason. We weren't warmed up. We hadn't practiced pitching. We were just, we had warmed up our arms. We hadn't actually been pitching. We hadn't thrown bullpens or any, there was no prep work for the mound. And now we're out there on the mound and he steps right in there. And I'm like, this old man not going to be able to move. And so what happens, I was like, well, I don't want to hit him. And guess what? It goes up and in on him. And he got the bunt down. It hit his back kind of funky. But my thing was like, man, I don't want to hit this old man. He's like 75. And he'd been in the major league. Well, not when I was growing up, but I knew of him. And I remember seeing videos of him when I was growing up of him playing, you know, decades earlier. So that essentially ruined this guy's career, Luke Haggerty. He said, I don't want to hurt anybody who's pitching. You, Rick Ankiel is the popular name that has happened to Rick Ankiel. Got the yips. Chuck Knobloch was a, sh a second baseman for many years for the Twins and I believe the Yankees. Chuck Knobloch had the yips. Steve Sachs, they said, had the yips. So the yips is just like overthinking or negative thinking. Like basically, it's a little different for everybody and, they, and players fall on different ends of the spectrum. But it's like, hey, don't do this. Hey, as the player is about to do something, it's like, don't mess up. Don't mess up. Don't screw up. Don't do this. Don't do that. And they tighten up muscle tension, overthinking anxiety. And so I really think there's some, there's no way to completely solve this or prevent it. I don't think, I don't think as long as our minds are the way they are. And unless we evolve for thousands more years with our mental health and get better and better at this, I don't know if you can eliminate it, but you can limit the opportunities that it happens. One, less pressure on our players, praise your players more, praise them, build up their confidence. So they're thinking confidently. So if they have a higher level of confidence, you build up their confidence in practice. You build them up by running them through drills that are high level, competitive, like tough drills, competition. So they do a lot of competitions in practice. They follow the 20, 40, 40, 20% of the drill is easy to kind of get a flow of it. 40% is normal speed for a drill like ground balls. And then 40% or, or any drill for the mo for that matter. And then 40% of every drill, give or take, should have reps that are more difficult, that require more that require a player to do go above and beyond what they typically would in a normal game setting. And this 
this can build up the confidence. Now, if you get the yips as a pitcher, one thing I think that can help is teaching pitchers to move faster. If you can shorten up the time that the mind has to think, the better. I think dead time or idle time or a long delivery in this particular case can really increase the likelihood that these negative thoughts come to mind. So you can only go so fast with the delivery, but speeding it up a little bit can help working on being present. At the end of the day, the best thing you can do is be present, fully present. But getting getting adults to be fully present is, is such a struggle. It's so hard to do for adults, much less kids. But presence, fully in the moment, fully present with the mind is, is in a conscious state where it's they're just sitting there focused on the task at hand. They're not analyzing it in their head, paralysis by analysis. They're not overthinking it. That's the best place to be. I sent out a tweet the other day talking about players being in the zone. And every time you hear a player talk about or in a post-game interview say, hey, I was in the zone. I was just in the zone. Hey, you know, they're interviewing him. They had a phenomenal game, especially in basketball, things like that. They go, you had a phenomenal game. It's like, yeah, I was just in the zone. I was in the zone. Everything was like slow motion in the zone. That is presence. That is being in the moment. Being in the zone is a catchphrase for staying present. For a player just being going with the flow in the moment with very limited, very limited thinking in a very conscious state of mind without a lot of excessive thinking or very limited thinking going on. So players that are overthinking out there tend to get the yips. And this is a perfect example of this. Another way to battle this is also to teach players to play aggressively, to always be on the offensive. Instead of a pitcher thinking, ah, don't walk this guy, don't walk this guy, don't throw a ball, have them think, strike this guy out, strike him out. Instead of having a player go up there and uh, think, don't strike out as when they're at the plate, don't strike out, don't strike out. Have them think, go up there and crush the ball. If you're teaching hitters and you're talking about crushing the ball, if you're telling your hitters to go up there, hey, we got to cut down on our strikeouts, we got to cut down on our strikeouts. Hey, pitchers, we got to stop walking people, we got to stop walking people. That mindset starts, and it's not all the players, of course, but just all you need is one or two that play a, a somewhat of a vital role with your team to fall into the trap of now thinking that way and thinking and focusing on those negative actions rather than focus on the dominant actions. And that's a domino effect of, of bad plays and bad outcomes all around. If you can work on the meditation, get them in the in the presence, full, uh, full presence, build up their confidence by praising them, lower the pressure in the games by not, you know, getting crazy as a coach when they mess up. Don't feel like you got to just make sure they're having fun, but they're hustling, they're playing hard, they're playing as a teammate, they know where to be and what to do, they're focused, but they're also having fun and they're not like, this is the end of the world if I mess up here or this and that. Also, make them or help them think in a offensive way and an aggressive way and says like, I'm going to strike this hitter out rather than don't walk this guy or I'm going to make a stellar play on this next defensive ground ball on this ground ball that comes to me on defense next or this fly ball. I'm going to make a great play rather than catch the ball, don't make an error, catch the ball, right? Have them think productively, have them think about doing the opposite of what that thought is like, I don't want to strike out at the plate. I don't want to strike out. Have them up there thinking, drive a ball off the wall, hit the ball off the wall. Because if they're thinking about hitting the ball off the wall, they're not thinking about striking out. The mind, the mind, as all of you know, can't be on two tracks simultaneously. Now it can skip back and forth. It can skip back and forth like when we're multitasking, things like that. But we cannot think about two different things simultaneously. The mind is a single track brain. It is, and it always will be. It's Well, and that's unless like Neuralink, Elon's company starts putting chips in our brains that lets us do like a four core processing brain, like these computers, eight cores, you know. But nonetheless, we know that the mind, the human mind can only think about one thing simultaneously. Now, 
like I said, it can bounce back and forth. But if you can get on that, keep that single track train, that, that train on that single track, the mind, the thoughts going towards something positive, something proactive on the offense rather than on the defense, on the heels kind of thinking. That to me is where you want players to be. Having them move fast physically can help eliminate some of the yips and things like that because it just shortens that amount of time that they have to think. So the yips are a complicated mental thing and they're common and they, I think, happen in a lot more players than we would ever realize. And they may happen infrequently or intermittently, but sometimes it, it really just can really ruin a season or a set of games or even a career. And I just gave you some tips to kind of start working with players on it. Now, it's not always about eliminating, it's about reducing. Like anxiety in the in the general public, general population, anxiety is everywhere. It's on a spectrum. Everybody's on a spectrum. A lot of people have high anxiety, a lot of people with medium anxiety, and probably a few with really low anxiety. It's about reducing it, not trying to, the goal should not be to eliminate anxiety or to eliminate the yips. It should be to try to reduce the occurrence of it. And reducing it is, I think, the ultimate or the best option, the best goal. All right, ground balls. We're going to hit this quick. Ground balls. Summer plan, the summer priorities. The summer priorities are strength training and flexibility, mobility, speed training, like getting physically stronger, faster, and more mobile. Getting the body stronger, that's the number one summer priority. Getting players stronger, faster, and more mobile. It's not about just lifting a thousand pound deadlifts. It's about getting stronger. A lot of one leg stuff, a lot of body weight stuff is definitely okay. Getting faster sprints, forward and backward, side to side, speed training training and mobile stretching, really working on flexibility around the shoulders and the hips and the ankle joints, the back, the rotational parts of the torso. Then we talked about hitting, getting a lot of pitches, a lot of T work, just really getting a lot of swings, good quality reps during the summer. And now we're to part three of this ground ball skills, working on ground balls. I highly recommend that players during the summer get a ton of reps on ground balls, whether that's infield and outfield ground balls, they get a ton of reps on ground balls. Throwing should be optional during the summer, depending on the player, if they pitched a lot or they had a high volume of throwing during the regular season or coming off of a high volume from the previous season, maybe they don't throw as much. Maybe they don't throw at all. Or maybe you do something like every fifth ground ball, they make the throw. So you can do a ratio or you can do an all or nothing. Just kind of fit that to the player. Get a ton of reps, get a ton of ground ball reps, invest. in. A, so if you're working with your son, you go out there with a ton of baseballs, invest in baseballs, invest in free. If it's just you and your kid, it's just you in a small group. You should have at least two full buckets, two full buckets of baseballs and two empty buckets. The empty buckets are a lot cheaper. The baseballs are going to be obviously the most expensive part. Spend the money. Keep track of those baseballs. Don't lose those baseballs. And you'd be surprised how long they'll last. If you're coaching a team, I recommend you have four full buckets of baseballs, but that can be done and that can be financed by all the players and their parents. They can all pitch in. But if it's just you and your kid or your kids, I highly recommend you at least have two buckets it's a baseballs racquetball courts are a good option for players that you can't like say you're working and you can't be there to help out your son do his thing racquetball courts are a good place to throw ground balls to yourself i know it's cement so it's not optimal and i should say concrete racquetball courts or not an indoor but an outdoor racquetball court you'll see these at a lot of high schools they have the racquetball courts with the metal or it's a not a metal a concrete wall or you just find somewhere with a big concrete wall that's definitely going to handle a baseball use the same baseball for this because or the same set of baseball 
baseballs because your baseballs are going to get beat up on this. They're going to get smashed. They're going to get, you know, bruised up in a sense. They kind of get bruised like fruit falling on the floor off the counter. They're going to bruise a little bit. So they're not going to be, you wouldn't necessarily want to use them for other things over time because you're really, they're going to be hammering that concrete wall, but just having players throw the ball. I really recommend putting some duct tape or a little marker, little dots on the wall, little X's where the players can throw it. So they're working on their throwing accuracy, just getting a lot of reps, getting close to the wall, working on short hops. So finding a wall, if you can find a cement wall, a cinder block wall, a concrete wall that's got grass coming off of it, that's even better. So this is for players that don't have somebody to hit to them, but just a lot of reps on this. This could be done, think about like 15 minutes, 15 minutes of this constantly could easily be a hundred reps. Here's another good one. It takes two people. So you as the coach or the parent can take out a tennis racket with some tennis balls, a tennis racket with some tennis balls, invest in some tennis balls, get the tennis racket, line them up against the fence or a backstop, maybe the garage and hammer some tennis balls at them. Now make sure you get far enough away they can have a play on it, but hammer some tennis balls. One, the racket gives you better accuracy than a baseball bat. So you're not going to swing and miss them and you're not going to hit pop-ups. You're not going to be hitting foul ball, you know, things off to the left and right as much. It gives you better accuracy, but it also allows you to hit these tennis balls really fast and it works on speeding up the reaction time of the infielder. So you just speed it up. It's going to slow down the game. Now, a tennis ball is not the same as a baseball, obviously. So it's going to bounce out of the glove a little bit more trying to hit grounders if you can. So the ball should be going. You might hit some line drives and you're just working these. And if it goes by them, that's why you have the fence there or the garage right behind them. So it shouldn't have to be, you don't have to go fetch the tennis balls. And you can just sit there and wrap, wrap through these and really challenge their speed without getting them hurt. Because if it does hit them, it's at worst, it's going to leave a little red mark at worst. I've done this with many of players, never had any issues and never had a player ever hurt, even as much as like a severe sting. Like they get hit, they can feel it. If it gets them, you know, in the stomach, they missed it, but it does doesn't cause any any issues or any health issues that I've ever had any you know problems with. Yeah, I just wouldn't aim for the face and I would also give them enough chance to be able to get their glove up if they needed to. They should have enough time to get the glove up. It shouldn't be so hard that they can't get the glove up to protect their face if they need to because you also wanted to make the play. Another one, Incredibles. Use those Incredibles. Those a little bit softer than normal. I really like using Incredibles for youth players and I definitely like using Incredibles for even older players when you can really hit the ball a little harder and it's not going to do some serious damage if it hits the player. I'm a big fan of those Incredibles. Find some that you know are a little bit softer, but they're the same size, about the same weight as a baseball and hit those ground balls to really challenge. Another thing is hitting, getting short hops, getting short hops. So you can do this by just throwing short hops, get up close to an infielder, get up close to your player, your son, your daughter, and just throw ground balls, throw ground uh, one hop ground balls, just some hop one hops, just boom, boom, get them up against the fence because they're going to miss some. You don't want to go fetch. Remember, it's about efficiency with reps. If you have to go chase down baseballs, you're wasting rep time. So put them up against the wall or a fence and just throw short hops to him, really working on short hops, even the, the big short, the big like kind of one hoppers that are a little bit bigger hops, get those one hoppers in there, get short hops left, right, some big one hoppers, really work that, sit there with the bucket and just boom, boom, boom. They just catch it and drop it to the side, catch it and drop it to the side. You can go through a whole bucket of working on those and that's going to pay off for infielders, for outfielders, and definitely like first basements or anybody that's scooping. And then you also want to work charging throws. You want to work on your players charging through balls, really working to run through the ball hard. This is 
isn't something they're going to do on every ground ball. And most of the time, they're not going to charge through a ground ball, but it's good to work on it because it does incorporate the footwork more and being able to like run and field at the same time. So it's like walking and chewing gum. You're really challenging them in this aspect. So you really want to work on some charging throws, even some bunts where they're just coming up bare hand and making some throws, things like that. All right. So I just gave you a bunch of tips to help with the ground balls about it starts with just quality reps, but you want to challenge them. So how do you challenge them without getting them hurt? Maybe use tennis balls, incredible balls. Maybe you get out there, you get a, you just warm them up with some easy, some regulation or some easier ground balls and then a few normal, typical game-like ground balls. And then you, you speed it up a little, make sure you're not on a field that's got a bunch of rocks and, you know, gopher holes and things like that. And you should be just fine hitting them hard ground balls should be just fine, right? They got to learn sometime. They got to learn. And sometimes you got to take the training wheels off and you just want to kind of minimize any unnecessary health risks, injury risks. All right, man, love talking baseball. I love sharing this with you guys because I can see it right now. I can see you all going out there, implementing this, using this. I can see the success right now that you're going to have that I've seen other coaches have using it, that I've seen myself over the years have using it, using all these strategies. Thank you. Those of you that are supporting the podcast, like I said earlier, you can just support it real quick after you're done listening to this. You go to the link, you support the podcast. A little bit goes a long ways. Thank you all of you that are already supporting it. I see who you are. I really appreciate it. And I will see you back here next week, episode number 90. And in episode number 90, I'm going to share with you my favorite Tony Gwynn quote. Tony Gwynn, the late, great Tony Gwynn, one of the greatest hitters of all time. I'm going to share with you one of the best quotes I've heard from a baseball hitter. And I'll share that with you next week. And also next week, we're going to finish up part four of our four-part summer training series. So I will share with you some suggestions to help players have higher baseball IQ to grow that baseball IQ over the summer and over the early fall as they prep for next season. All right. Until next time, take care of yourself. Take care of your health. As I always say, take care of those families and take this out there and make the baseball community a better place. Go out there with more confidence with this information. Send me your emails, coachbo at 8020baseball.com, coachbo at 8020baseball.com. That's B-O like Bo Jackson and 8020. That's the numbers 8020 baseball. Coach Bo at 8020baseball.com. Send me questions, thoughts, communicate, reach out. Love to hear from you guys. I love to hear all the success stories that are going on. I love to hear that feedback. And that's all I got. Catch you on the flip side. This has been the 8020 Baseball Masterclass. Take it to the field.